gentlemen, welcome to our Path for America podcast. We are so excited to have you listening today. And as a reminder, I address you as ladies and gentlemen, because many organizations consider that a hate crime these days, because we are not allowed to acknowledge biological realities. And as you know, I'm Ryan Woods. I'm the creator of Lady Maga USA. I'm a drag artist, and I love to dress up in wigs and makeup and all that fun stuff. But I will never deny uh, the uh, biological reality that there are men and there are women in this world. So anyway, got a little sidetrack there. Uh, be sure to visit pathforamerica.com. That's P-A-T-H, the number four, america.com. To learn a little bit more about what we do here on this podcast, we have a very diverse and very intelligent group of people who bring this podcast to you discussing all kinds of issues. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a gay man, but I'm a patriot. I'm a gun-owning uh, America type person. I love this country. That's why I participate in this podcast. And um, the only reason I mentioned that I'm gay is to hopefully awaken other gay people and remind them that they do not have to adhere to the rainbow Gestapo. They can leave the rainbow plantation and the mental slavery of the left and the Democrats because we all got to come together. Whether or not we see eye to eye on everything, whether or not, you know, a church might believe that homosexuality is a sin, that's totally okay. We got to all come together and defend our Constitution, our First Amendment, and especially our Second Amendment. And so, you know, the analogy is if uh, if you're fighting a war and you're in a foxhole and you run out of ammunition and some gay people or whoever come up and they have more ammunition to help you win your war, you're not going to turn them away. So I work with people who definitely disagree with me and the way I live. They don't really like that I do, you know, drag artistry. I don't really like the term drag queen because it makes you think of drag queen story hour where they're teaching children to twerk and you know pushing transgenderism and trying to erase uh the genders i just love to dress up it's like halloween it's theatrical it's fun for me i've always been a performer and quite frankly if i can only play male characters it's so limiting because i just got creative energy coming out my ears but uh, i'm not going to talk about any of that today today i want to talk about um the mormon church here in utah and i grew up mormon i served an honorable mormon mission in um france uh, the vast majority of my best friends, actually all of my best friends, the people I'm closest to are active LDS people who, you know, go to church. But we really do have to talk about the Mormon church here in Utah and especially the charlatan wolves in sheep's clothing like our governor, Spencer Cox. He claims to be a Republican. He claims to be a conservative. He claims to be a devout Mormon man. But his actions and his political decisions um indicate the exact opposite so um i guess what i really want to talk about right now is afghanistan and the so-called refugee situation uh sending uh hordes and hordes of refugees to the united states while we still have americans stranded in afghanistan and i want to talk about the realities of islamist immigration and i'll say what nobody else will say people are afraid to talk about this because they don't want to be deplatformed and they don't want to appear so-called Islamophobic. But I'm going to jump into some really, really harsh realities, and I'm going to expose you to truths that you have never heard before. I guarantee because these truths are hidden in the mainstream media. They are also hidden by um, 
the uh, mosques and the organizations around our country um, in order to um, fool the infidel. So we'll jump into that after I mention what Spencer Cox did. So we are here in Utah, and historically, we have been a fairly utopian, beautiful, wonderful state with safe streets and low crime and businesses and church-going folks and, you know, nice families. Utah was always a beacon of American excellence and tradition and patriotism. Unfortunately, that is rapidly changing. I mean, uh, it's, it's becoming unrecognizable. As I drove on the freeway yesterday, I just saw these massive apartment buildings going up right and left. Our population is exploding because refugees from California, <laughs> American refugees, are moving here. And of course, unfortunately, we know that uh, these people don't like the homelessness. They don't like the needles in the street. <clears throat> they don't like the crime. They don't like the laws that say you can steal $900 worth of merchandise from a CVS without punishment. They don't like, I mean, even I was attacked by Antifa when I was in um, San Francisco. I was punched in the stomach and I was assaulted and I filed a police report. And I mean, I've got all this documented and they literally told me, we can do nothing. We want to help you. But the law is that they will not prosecute this. They will send them to counseling. And I had to jump through all these hoops to get justice, even though I had the assault on video, you guys, on video with proof of the Antifa radical who attacked me. So here in Utah, we have a governor. His name is Spencer Cox, and uh, he publicly asked Joe Biden, our <clears throat> president, to uh, send refugees to the state of Utah, saying that we want refugees sent to Utah. We have a long history of welcoming refugees. And he was referring to the uh, the pioneers, you know, the Mormon refugees back in the day. It is farcical, it is laughable, and it is ridiculous to compare the Mormon pioneers to Islamists who wish to cover a woman's face, who would kill me legally if they could, who would throw me off of a building for being gay, who believe that Sharia law is above uh, the American Constitution. So this this is the reality we're dealing with. So he asked for all of them to be sent to Utah. Now, it is a wonderful, it is a noble, and it is a necessary thing to help people across the globe who are suffering in war zones, sending them food, charitably helping them deal with the terrors that they are dealing with. But the only way that can be justified is through consent. And when I say consent, I mean private charitable organizations, whether it's the Red Cross, whether it's the Mormon Church, whether it's Catholic Relief Services, that is noble, that is wonderful, and I would happily donate to help those people who are suffering in Afghanistan. What is not okay is to force these people into your community on your dime, taxpayers, on your dime. Did you consent to have government housing built in your area and pay for the cell phone, the Wi-Fi, the education, the housing, the transportation, and the health care of these refugees? Charity is not charity if you are forced to be so-called charitable. OK, if I take ten dollars and I give it to a homeless person on the street, that is very nice. 
I did something nice. If you take the $10 out of my pocket and then give it to the homeless person, that is stealing. So, you know, I lean very libertarian when they say taxation is theft. So I got in a little bit of a, a little bit of a tiffy with my with one of my Mormon family members, love him to death, wonderful man. And he said, no, we have a responsibility to take these refugees to defend human rights. And um, I said, no, we don't without our consent. That should be something that we decide uh, to do with our own money. And he said, well, you give consent when you elect your leaders. So uh, here's what I have to say about that. So you elect someone, they run on a very, very basic platform with generalities and nice statements. And you think, okay, you know what? Spencer Cox, he's a good old conservative Mormon Republican. I'm sure he is going to put the interests of me, my spouse, and my children first, always. And then when he doesn't do that and he betrays you, and he wants to force Islamist, unvetted, primarily adult male refugees into your safe, beautiful community on your dime. Are you really giving consent to that? Of course you are not. So the idea that our elected leaders speak for us and whatever they do um, implies that we give consent for what they do is farcical. It is just absolute nonsense. I do not believe that. And I believe that communities should have the right to decide what they do with their tax dollars and whether or not they want Islamist refugees put in their communities. So now we're going to jump into the realities of Islamist immigration. I'm going to preface this by saying, of course, not all uh, people who are in the Islam faith wish harm to the world. Of course not. Okay. Uh, I'm not here to to hate these people, but I am here to point out the realities of their beliefs, their ideology, and the consequences within Western civilization when we have a large influx of Islamists. And when I say Islamist, I am talking about uh, the ideology in current Islam that Sharia law is above all else. Sharia law is the top priority. That is God's will. That is the ultimate goal. And if you research Sharia law and you kind of think about women, think about going to the beach in a two-piece swimsuit, think about your gay neighbors, think about all that. None of that can exist under Sharia law and freedom of speech cannot exist under Sharia law. The U.S. Constitution is completely incongruent with the principles of Sharia. So I served my mission in France. You want to know where I spent the majority of my time? In government skyrise housing funded by the hardworking taxpayers in France, filled with African and Islamist immigrants knocking on doors all day long. We always got you know, plenty of conversations started because they were all home during the day in those sky rise buildings. We're talking, we're talking anywhere from 10 to 20 story buildings. If you've been to Paris, um, and you drive along the freeway and you look around, it's called Les Banlieues. It's like the suburbs of Paris. If you look around, you will see these sky rise buildings built by the government on the uh, taxpayers back. And so I spent my time doing that. So what what happens in France? What what have the consequences of Islamist immigration been in France? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And I actually made some notes here so that I can articulately uh, help you understand the realities of all of this. So here in America right now, we have a mass influx of Afghan refugees and good hearted 
Yet ignorant Americans, they feel a responsibility to welcome them morally. Part of it is because they have never been outside of their little conservative community bubbles and they don't understand what they're doing. They just feel good. And we know that anytime you think of politics or policy with your feelings, you're in a danger zone because facts don't care about your feelings, to quote Ben Shapiro. So people love to compare Italian and Irish immigrants to modern Islamist immigrants. This is just ignorance. Did the Irish believe a woman must be covered or face private or public punishment if she doesn't? Did they believe that Sharia law is supreme over the Constitution? No. The Irish and the Italians came to start a new American way of life through their own hard work, expecting zero handouts. They wished to assimilate into their new country. So you guys, listen, compassion must never come with a price of self-sabotage. Okay? You got to make, I was a flight attendant. You know, I was fired from Delta Airlines for my so-called right-wing extremism and um as a flight attendant what do we tell you put on your oxygen mask first then put it on your kid or the person next to you put on your oxygen mask first do you really think in the united states right now we have our oxygen mask on no of course we don't we have an open southern border we have an opioid epidemic we have an obesity epidemic we have the covid 1984 so-called crisis we have so much going on and we can't even deal with the uh the welfare state that we have that's already killing us so is our oxygen mask on no And we also have to ask this important question, ladies and gentlemen, why aren't American allies, and I say allies with my fingers in the air with quotation marks, such as Saudi Arabia, why are they not willing to take Afghanistan refugees? Okay, why are only predominantly white Western countries pressured into taking them and paying for them without taxpayers' consent? What about Japan? What about South Korea? What about Qatar? What about the United Arab Emirates? I think they have plenty of room and plenty of money in Dubai. They're perfectly capable of building sky-rise government housing and refugee housing there. Why aren't they doing anything? It's because in the West, we are brainwashed with uh, white guilt and uh, the guilt that we are bad, everything's bad, and we have a responsibility to save the world. Well, no, we don't. We have the responsibility to put America first. So those countries put their interests first. And they refuse to destabilize their nation by bringing in masses of people who have ideology that is completely incongruent with uh, American ideals. They refuse to do it. But nobody ever calls out Japan. Nobody ever calls out South Korea. Nobody ever calls out Saudi Arabia. But we're the bad guys. So Islamic countries in the Middle East, they have the money. They have the space and they have the Muslim culture that would create an ideal environment for Islamic refugees. Why aren't we simply just building refugee camps in the Middle East to help these people? Why are these unvetted people being put directly into our communities in Texas, in Virginia? And if Spencer Cox has his way all over Utah, why? So obviously the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan, uh, we all know it was a disaster from beginning to end. I believe that no soldier should ever ever fight or die for Islamic conflicts in the Middle East. And many, many people are arguing that these refugees fought side by side with these American soldiers. We have to help them because they were they were fighting with Americans. They deserve to come here. Well, first of all, keep in mind that those Afghan soldiers fighting with the U.S. soldiers were fighting for their country. 
They were fighting for their Islamic way of life that is slightly different than what the Taliban wants. They were not fighting for the American Constitution or the American way of life. So don't get up, don't act like these Afghan soldiers are somehow, uh, you know, parallel with uh, the the U.S. soldiers. No, that's that's laughable. It's nonsense. And uh, these people fought for their country. Did did America screw them over? Yes. Was the withdrawal a horror story? Yes, of course it was. They have been wronged. But that does not mean that the American taxpayer should house, fund and integrate these people on the taxpayer's dime. So um, let's just talk about the the consequences across the globe in Western nations of Islamic immigration. So um, before we dive into that, I want to talk about Sweden and France and Amsterdam and my personal experiences in Boston. But we have to ask ourselves, on our southern border and with Afghanistan, why are the hordes of refugees overwhelmingly adult men if we are so worried about the women and children? No one's answering that question. And how do we know that Taliban defectors are not taking the opportunity to infiltrate the refugee groups? They've been printing uh, some sort of like blank American visa thing, emergency refugee card to fill out. You're going to tell me that those Taliban people are not intelligently and cunningly infiltrating those refugee groups, knowing they're going to get a free ride to the United States where they can infiltrate, indoctrinate, have children and build their uh, way of life in the United States. Or worst case scenario, give us another 9-11. That's how it happened, people. Unvetted immigration is dangerous. So um, they are infiltrating the refugees. I don't know why we always focus on the adult men. You can see that from Haiti and Mexico. The vast majority, they always use a picture of a woman and a little innocent child to manipulate you. They never show you the reality of who is coming into the country. So let's talk about Sweden. Okay, so Sweden was uh, once upon a time, like it was ideal. It was a beautiful country. They gave us ABBA. They gave us Max Martin, who wrote the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears songs. And like Sweden was great, safe, beautiful, a little too socialist for my taste, but still Sweden was a nice, homogenous, safe, beautiful country. Now in Sweden, they face regular violence. They face regular bombings, a massive welfare state. They have no go zones. And if you don't know what that is, that means the police won't even go in an area because it's so dangerous. And Sharia law takes care of all their problems. And drum roll, it is the rape capital of Europe. Do you understand that? That's fact. It is the rape capital of Europe. And it wasn't the rape capital of Europe until they had mass Islamic immigration. So just so you know, uh, journalists in Sweden are actually forbidden uh, to put a description and the name of criminal rapists because it could encourage Islamophobia. We all know the names that they can't put into the paper. They can't share the truth of what's going on. So let's say you live in Sweden, your daughter is raped and assaulted, and they don't put the ethnicity or the name of the person who assaulted your daughter in the paper as you try to find them. I've also noticed that's happening here in Utah. Um, I get an Amber Alert, and the only description of the person who potentially kidnapped an innocent child is their their age, their eye color, and their hair color, sometimes the name. Why isn't ethnicity in there? 
If you are attacked by a white man, we need to know that we're looking for a white man and not a Hispanic man or a black man. It's completely irrational, and it's all done in the name of political correctness, which puts us puts us in danger. So, um, like I told you, I, I spent the majority of my time in France knocking on those government structures, and uh, not long after, I don't know if you've heard of the story of Charlie Hebdo. He was a cartoonist, and he drew a cartoon. He drew a cartoon of Mohammed. Um, all of us have seen uh, Jesus cartoons, uh, cross in a bottle of urine. Uh, if you go to, you know, even if you go to the mall to Hot Topic or Spencer's or one of those like goth stores, you're going to see merchandise that mocks Jesus all over the place. Well, Charlie Hebdo dared, dared to draw a cartoon and he was slaughtered. He was murdered. Okay. So um, recently in France, nobody even knows this. Did you know that a school teacher was beheaded? I'm talking had her head cut off. This is recent news. She had her head cut off by a man shouting, Alu Akbar. He cut off her head. That should have made international news. Um, uh, allegedly, a proud boy burned a Black Lives Matter flag, and Jesse, Jesse Smollett said that he was attacked, and it was a total hoax. It was immediate international news. Some teenage kid on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial gave a, gave a little smirk to a Native American man, and that made international news. And so uh, a woman is beheaded in France by a man shouting Alu Akbar, and that's not a hate crime. That shouldn't, that shouldn't create international outrage. Of course it should, but you didn't know about that. Nobody does. So um, in Europe, France has the largest Islamist community. And uh, over the last six, seven years, they have suffered multiple Islamist militant attacks, including bombings and shootings in 2015 that killed 130 people, 130 people in 2015. And then in 2016, in Nice, a truck drove through a crowd of people celebrating Bastille Day, and it killed 86 people. So 130 plus 86, we're talking death. We're talking destruction. And what is the common denominator? for these deaths, for these slaughter, for these beheadings? You can answer that for me. You can answer that for me. I don't even have to answer it. So let's just ask the question. How has mass Islamic immigration helped Sweden? How has it helped France? Our Governor Spencer Cox said, we are so grateful and look forward to their contributions to our communities. What contributions, Spencer Cox? What contributions are we, are, are we talking about the amazing contributions they're making in France and Amsterdam and London in areas of London? We've got um, neighborhoods where British women are covering their heads because they're so afraid of being harassed as they walk to the grocery store if their head is not covered. So I guess I guess Spencer Cox thinks that's a great contribution. So please stay tuned. We're going to keep talking about all of this. You can visit visit pathforamerica.com or ladymagausa.com to find out a little bit more about what I do personally.
welcome back to the Path Forward uh, podcast, pathforamerica.com. That's the number four. So glad you're with us. We are discussing Islamist immigration in uh, Western countries and the consequences of that immigration. This is not an anti-Muslim podcast, but this is an anti-Sharia law um, and anti-unvetted immigration uh, uh, podcast that we're doing. Um, I'm Ryan Woods. I'm the creator of the character Lady Maga USA, you know, drag artist, uh, all the rallies, holding up signs. At the last rally I went to, I loved my sign. It was with Eric Mutzos here in Utah. I gave a speech and my sign said, "Force vaccines are a drag. <laughs> <laughs> How about that, folks? So if you want to learn a little bit more about what I do with the majority of my time as an activist, you can visit LadyMagaUSA.com. That's L-A-D-Y-M-A-G-A-U-S-A.com. And um, <clears throat> you can learn more about what I do there. But let's just jump right back into the consequences of Islamist immigration in Western countries. So um, nice states, stable states like the state of Utah, like the formerly amazing state of Minnesota, good-hearted, naive people who have never traveled abroad, who've never been to uh, an African or an Islamist country in their life, who've never been to Europe and been in the neighborhoods where Sharia law rules uh, supreme in Cannes, London, in Amsterdam, in Belgium, in uh, Sweden, and of course, in France, they just they don't know what they're asking for when they say, oh, we're just going to open up all of our doors and help these people forced with your tax dollars. If the people were coming and they were not getting 100 percent government handouts from cell phones to uh, transportation, to housing, to medical care, to Wi-Fi, to entertainment, uh, to EBT cards, then maybe it wouldn't be so bad because they would be integrating and making America stronger. They're not. I would say a tiny fraction of Islamist immigrants brought from Somalia and now Afghanistan are actually going to uh, open a mom and pop shop. And actually they can't even do it now because the government doesn't want independently owned businesses. Their goal is a massive welfare state. And by the way, if you've been enjoying those checks the government has been sending you, keep in mind that that's blood money. Keep in mind that that is your money and they are not giving you anything. They are just conditioning you to say, oh, wow, the government can take care of me better than I can take care of myself. It's all a plan, ladies and gentlemen. It's all a plan. So let's talk about Minnesota. This is a, this is a terrible topic, and it's, uh, it's, it's something that makes your heart and stomach cringe. But there is a terrible rise of female genital mutilation uh, committed against little girls in Minnesota. I would recommend, I'm not going to go into exactly what it is, uh, just Google FGM, uh, female genital mutilation. It's something they do to little girls. It is uh, one of the most evil and one of the most painful and one of the most torturous things uh, you, you could ever hear of. I recommend you read the book um, uh, Desert Flower. I believe her name is Waris Erie. I forget the author's name, but she is a Somalian woman who courageously wrote a book about undergoing female genital mutilation as a little girl, and she speaks out, um, as does Ayan Hirsi Ali, who is a Somalian who escaped uh, the clutches of radical Islam, and uh, she wrote a book called Infidel. Please read that book. And uh, she lives under 24-hour security because they have tried to kill her multiple times, and the man who helped her wrote, write her book was slaughtered, murdered. So you can't speak out against this stuff. So in Minnesota, America, land of the free, we have female genital mutilation happening. And Ilhan Omar, 
and the Islamist leaders who have been voted into office in those communities have said that we can't just imprison these people because it's a cultural practice and we have to have conversations. And by having conversations about diverse beliefs and, and educating, we can help change this. But if Joe Schmo does that to a little girl, he's going to go to prison forever. Do you see the free pass people get? You see the free pass that Islamist ideology gets everywhere across the globe? They can do anything. They can cut off a teacher's head in France. And you probably didn't even know that happened. How do you think that family feels right now? So let's talk a little bit. Let's jump over the pond and go to Khan's uh, London. Khan is an Islamist leader who uh, banned bikini pictures in the tube. That's their metro system. And as I mentioned, non-Muslim British women often cover their heads in many neighborhoods out of fear of harassment. If you follow Katie Hopkins, she is a British patriot, an absolutely incredible woman. She's articulate. She loves her country. She's like the Margaret Thatcher of social media. She's gone into those neighborhoods to just see what happens. And the harassment, the screaming, the finger pointing, and the threatening of her daring to go in those neighborhoods completely uncovered is terrifying. And of course, she's been kicked off of Twitter. She's censored. She's not allowed to share any of what's actually happening in Cannes, London, because of course it creates Islamophobia. So, uh, if women are assaulted, they're harassed. If they if they don't cover, you've never you didn't even know that. That's not on the mainstream media. Nobody cares. What about feminists? What about women's rights? Nobody cares. So yeah, they banned bikini ads in the tube. Um, so in other words, in other words, what's happening is they are moving towards Sharia law and Sharia law reigns supreme in modern Islam across the globe, whether it's Amsterdam, whether it's London, whether it's Minnesota or soon to be late in Utah, <laughs> uh, Sharia law reigns supreme. Um, and there is a minority of Muslims who do speak out against this. But as I pointed out, the author of the book Desert Flower and the author of the book Infidel dared to critique the great religion of peace and murder and mayhem uh, ensued. So in uh, in the UK, there is actually a musical. It is it was funded by the British government. You want to know what it's called? It's called The Assassination of Katie Hopkins. It's called The Assassination of Katie Hopkins, the white British patriot who dared question Islam. Imagine, if you will, imagine for one moment uh, a musical calling for the assassination of any Muslim. There would be international outrage and there would be immediate violent and uh, terrorist retaliation against the people who did that. So on a personal level, I lived in Boston for four years when I was a flight attendant and um, when, uh, I noticed that uh, we were getting really, really heavy amounts of Islamist immigrants. And uh, most of them went about their business, whatever. But one time I was going to the mall and I, I was walking there and I was in a crosswalk and a taxi driver pushed into the crosswalk and he almost hit me. And I freaked out and I raised my arms and yelled and I started taking pictures of his license plate. Well, he got out of the taxi, walked up to me and spit in my face. And there was a huge crowd of people who witnessed this. He got out of the taxi and spit in my face. Is that assimilation? When was the last time, you know, uh, an Italian taxi driver actually like got out of the car and spit in someone's face after almost hitting them? Um, recently in Nashville, country star Claire Dunn was assaulted by an African immigrant. I'm assuming he's Islamist because the majority of African immigrants in 
uh, Tennessee are Islamist, and he beat her up. He, she was, she was beaten. She was thrown on the ground. Her face was all bloody, and uh, his name is Albert Boyake. So I ask you once again, I don't want to sound me, but what are the realistic and fact-based consequences of Islamist immigration? So um, I'm going to talk about something that you've never heard of, and if you have, good for you. It is a fundamental, a fundamental uh, principle of modern Islam. And uh, it, it's called taqiyya. Now, taqiyya is T-A-Q-I-Y-A or T-A-Q-I-Y-Y-A. And taqiyya is the holy principle that teaches that lying, lying to fool and deceive the infidel, a.k.a. good-hearted Americans, is necessary to advance Sharia law. So what is an example of taqiyya in our modern world? Well, you see uh, Islamic people like Ilhan Omar claiming to support Western values while infiltrating and preaching radical ideology in private. The Muslim Brotherhood is preaching the exact opposite of what we believe in America, and yet they're out there preaching LGBT tolerance uh, whilst privately believing I should be thrown off of a building or imprisoned in any Islamic country. That is what would happen to me. So Takiya, um, Ilhan Omar is actually a wonderful example of Takiya. She's a beautiful woman. She has a beautiful smile. She presents herself as this modern feminist when really she is just the Takiya queen of the Muslim Brotherhood. It's so obvious when you look at her ties in her past, when you look at the legislation she tries to pass, when you look at female genital mutilation happening in Minnesota, and she doesn't say one word, that is an example of Takiya. With her beautiful smile and her so-called modern aesthetic, she is fooling the infidels. So um, this is why. This is why there are no mass protests of Muslims across the globe when innocent people are beheaded or killed in the name of Islam. Uh, you know, y'all know I'm gay and I'm a drag artist. Well, I have left that radical community because they are predatory. They are the gay men's chorus in San Francisco is talking about brainwashing and coming for your children. Drag queens are teaching children to twerk in libraries. So I stepped away from it and I protested. And there are hundreds of thousands of common sense, patriotic gay people who are pointing out the radicalism and the danger of the modern so-called LGBTQIA plus plus movement. Where are the Muslims doing the same? Well, I'll tell you why they can't do it, because they would face what uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali and other Muslims who speak out face. Uh, if you want to listen to my podcast, you can find it on my website and scroll down to the uh, topic. I am no longer a Muslim. Uh, I interviewed a, uh, a gay ex-Muslim guy and I asked him all the hard questions. I was like, am I too harsh? You know, are, do I have a false idea of what's really going on? And he said, absolutely not. You do not. They are using Takiya right and left to fool the infidels. So a lot of people say, you know, you can't stereotype. But I ask you, point blank, what would happen if a militant Islamist woman in America fled her family or dared to defile her husband's beliefs? Sharia law already exists privately. She would be punished. She would be beaten. She would be potentially murdered and she would be locked away and not allowed to do that. Of course, these women want to escape, but they can't. 
So that's why when I was a flight attendant, uh, the man would order drinks for the covered woman, hunched over, huddled close to the window, and she wouldn't even get to look up at me or tell me what she wanted to drink or what snack she wanted. That's in America. So sorry, not sorry. That's un-American. That's not fair. And that woman has the right to sit comfortably in the plane and make a choice herself whether or not she wants to be completely covered in black in a, you know, hot airplane. And she has the right to look up at me, a man, make eye contact and say, I would like pretzels and a Diet Coke, please. And it's just, it's fascinating to watch these idiot people in the in the in the pride parades carrying lgbtqia signs that say queers against islamophobia they're always out there marching um recently there was a drag queen on rupaul's drag race who actually came out in a hijab literally in a, <laughs> in a hijab uh celebrating islam and saying they're being so tolerant i just have one question for all those people where are the groups of Islamists marching for you? Where are the groups of Islamists celebrating you and your drag queenness or whatever it is? They're not. They're not. So it's like, oh, you know, I'm a lamb and I'm marching against, uh, you know, lion phobia. I'm, I'm a gazelle and I'm just going to hold a sign that says, you know, stop lion phobia. It's so ridiculous. Um, Y'all have heard of the Book of Mormon musical. Um, it slanders and mocks the Mormon faith. It is filthy. It is explicit. They make sexual innuendo jokes out of uh, sacred beliefs of the LDS faith. It's absolutely unbelievably um, obscene and horrible. Um, imagine for a moment that they made a book of Quran musical doing the same thing. <clears throat> Killing, terrorism, and bombings would be immediate. They would be immediate. Okay, people would die. And free speech is dead when we cave to terrorists. And it's free speech surrounding Islam is dead. You'll get kicked off if you say anything. You know, President Trump dared to try and limit immigration from countries that have terrorist cells that hate the United States. And he was called racist. He was called a bigot. And uh, he, he really wasn't. So the Republicans and the Democrats in the USA fear speaking out because they see what happens when someone dares to critique the great religion of peace. That school teacher got her head cut off. So they're watching Europe and they're fearful. So here, here's a general question that I had and I've answered, and I know a lot of you have too. Why do the Democrats want an open border? Why do they want mass immigration when we don't even have our oxygen mask on? Why don't they want a wall? Why are they, are, you know, they're, they're telling us we all have to wear masks and we're all going to die of COVID while letting in uh, tens of thousands of people on our southern border with a completely open border. People say, why? Why would they do that? Well, here's why. The answers are simple. Number one, they wish to destroy and destabilize our country and destroy Western ideals, the family, uh, the American way of life, free speech and uh, independence, individualism, because the masses of people coming in are creating a massive welfare state. So that's reason number two. They wish to create a mass welfare state, thus gaining power and voters. Remember, if I feed you and I house you and I promise you the glory life, 
I control you 100%. So they know that by having that open border and so-called redistributing these, you know, poor refugees from the southern border and from Afghanistan into our communities, they are gaining power, they are creating a welfare state, and they are gaining voters. Number three, they want mass conflict. They want mass division. They want crime. They want chaos so that they can justify global government interventions in the name of safety. You know, San Francisco is an absolute uh, SHIT hole. It's literally like a nightmare. It's like a third world violent crime ridden nightmare right now. And that's exactly what they want because the more people live under chaos, the more people live in division and hatred and, and problems, uh, the more the federal government can justify an overall takeover and not just the federal government, but the globalists. They call it the Great Reset, uh, otherwise known as the New World Order. Alex Jones is right about the New World Order. He may be crazy on a lot of things, but the New World Order is a, a real thing. One world global government where countries like China and Afghanistan have an equal say when it comes to justice and lawmaking in our country. So, uh, remember recently when uh, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel or uh, the guy from Saturday Night Live. He has a he has a show. What's his name? Oh, you know who I'm talking about. The guy from Saturday Night Live. Anyway, they mentioned in front of their audience that the recent census in the United States saw the first time that there was a decrease in white people, and the audience literally cheered. Okay. I'm not a white supremacist. I'm not even proud of being white because I didn't choose it. But I will call out racism against white people when I see it. Imagine the reverse. Imagine if a late night talk show host said that our census says that the Hispanic population has diminished and the audience cheered. Once again, it would make international news. That would literally be a headline on every news network from the BBC to MSNBC to CNN but funny how when a woman gets her head cut off, it doesn't even really make the news, does it? So I guess there's always a bright side. Um, for those of you who celebrate mass Afghanistan immigration into the United States, um, and you believe the COVID-1984 narrative, at least the Islamist women will already have their faces covered so you can feel safe, right? <laughs> there's got to be a bright side, a bright side for you guys. So guys, I'm not afraid. America first. Uh, America is full. And unless we have serious vetting uh, of, of immigrants, and unless we open our doors to immigrants who can actually come here and make America stronger, uh, you know, Indian immigrants, Asian immigrants, they usually come here and flourish and establish businesses. They become doctors. They go to medical school. Why aren't we allowed to choose which immigrants come to this country like Japan does, like South Korea does? You know, every other country that, that stays strong uh, really has a harsh filter on there for people they let into the country. And America should be the same way. Am I saying no more immigration ever? No, but I'm saying no more harmful immigration. Um, so if you're listening to this, you, it, it takes a hot minute, but go online and Google, um, I believe it's congress.gov. Just go online and look up your legislators. Okay, look them up, look up your governor, look up your mayor, get on your computer and take 20 minutes and send an email. You can you can write one text about your concerns for your community, about your opinion on uh, Afghanistan refugees 
unvetted adult men being sent into your community on your dime. You can just use the talking points that I've given you in this podcast, type it up, copy and paste it, and send it to your state leaders. And if you're here in Utah, I think a lot of our listeners are, send it to Spencer Cox, send it to your mayor, send it to every single senator, and especially send it to your your Democrat ones. If you copy and paste, you can do that. Better yet, print them off, fold them up, and mail them. Better yet, uh, show up to a meeting, find out when they're discussing this, find out where the public meeting is, and show up because we're done being the silent majority. And the reason we have lost our country, the reason we have lost our freedoms, the reason innocent five-year-olds are being forced to wear masks, the reason uh, our our, uh, tyrannical communist mayor of Salt Lake City has been able to override uh, the will of the people by forcing masks on children from kindergarten through high school who who have just as much chance of getting eaten by a shark as they do of dying of COVID. The reason is because y'all are silent. It's because nobody does anything. Nobody says anything. Nobody goes to this stuff. I was recently at the medical freedom rally. I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm just um, uh, anti-tyranny. I believe in medical freedom. And we had a nice large crowd. But compared to the amount of people who agree with what we were saying at that rally, we are a tiny, 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 tiny 0.001% of all the people who agree with us. But they're too scared to go to a rally and they're too busy watching the Kardashians or, I don't know, Game of Thrones or whatever they're doing with their time to go and actually do something. So get out there and do something. So um, as we uh, loop around back to the Mormon church, you all know I love the LDS church. I deliberately, even though I'm gay and everything, I moved from Boston to Utah specifically to be surrounded by the wonderful Mormon people. And I have, over the last four years, I have found the best friends I've ever known, and they are in the Mormon church. But I'm also talking on their behalf when I talk about what I'm about to say. So um, y'all got to understand, if you're Mormon, and if you don't know the LDS church, they believe that they have a living prophet on the earth. So the equivalent of Moses. And, you know, that's a very powerful belief. And I kind of feel like, why not? Why wouldn't there be a prophet? If there were prophets back in the day, like Moses, of course, there'd be some living prophets. But what people are confusing is church administrative decisions and recommendations with prophecy that comes directly from God and Jesus Christ. So the church came out and said, you need to wear a mask. You need to get vaccinated. Brigham Young University Hawaii mandated vaccines for their students and wouldn't even give an exception to a girl who could not medically take the vaccine. So um, I have a bone to pick with the LDS Church for doing Two, they said we must welcome refugees into our communities. It is our responsibility to do it. But they did not differentiate between private charitable help for refugees, which, as I said, is noble and necessary between forced forced taxpayer-funded support of those immigrants and uh, refugees. They need to be clear. Are we talking about refugees, so-called refugees who come across the border illegally? Are we talking about unvetted Islamists from Afghanistan who potentially loathe and despise this country because of what we did to them in Afghanistan? They don't differentiate. It's a, it's a bleeding heart mentality. So um, last but not least, recently in seminary, 
If you don't know what seminary is, it's the teenage program to educate kids religiously in addition to their schooling. And a, sem a Mormon seminary teacher put up a big flag with the, the Black Lives Matter triangle, the trans triangle, and it said, welcome LGBTQIA plus students. You guys, come on, come on, come on, come on. I just don't know what's happening. So I'm asking you to share this podcast. Wherever you're listening, there, once it's posted, you should be able to click the little three dots or whatever and uh, copy and paste the link and share it. Go to pathforamerica.com. And I expand on most of the issues I discuss on this program. And you can find my personal podcast at ladymagausa.com. And uh, we're out to save America, you guys. It, we can no longer be silent. We have to take a stand. We have to be strong. We have to be brave. And we cannot be afraid of cancel culture. So God bless each and every one of you. And once again, please share this podcast. And have a wonderful Tuesday. Thank you.